0: This morning's reading is from uh, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 to 23, and that's on page 976 of the Black Bibles. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, May give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. That you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. According to the working of his great might. That he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. And seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. This is God's word.
1: My name is Ryan Phelps. I serve Grace Point as lead pastor. It is really good to be with you today. So we're going to be back in the the book of Ephesians today. If you do not have a Bible, I just want you to know there are Bibles in the back. And you can have one of those. You can take it. It's yours. And if you don't know what the Bible is all about, if you're looking through it, Ephesians is in the, in the back half of the book. And we see those big, the big numbers, those are the chapter numbers, and the tiny numbers are the verse numbers. And we're going to be in Ephesians 1, verses 15 through 23. But before we get to it today, let's pray. I thank you for your abundant mercies. Just the, the fact that we can come before your very word. The word that you have given to your people. That is an amazing thing. And it means that you chose to remain with us. Through Jesus Christ, you came back. Though we sinned against you, though we pushed you away. You stayed. You remained. And you are now with us in your word. But not just in your word, with your implanted Holy Spirit. The Spirit who resides within us. The Spirit is working now that we may see your goodness, your glory, and your gospel. May we see it yet again this morning, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. We are doing it again. We're doing Christmas again, aren't we? We are ramping up. My wife has almost all the Christmas shopping done, and she uh, loves Christmas shopping. That is not my favorite thing. And she loves it because she loves our kids. I've told you that before. I love my wife for that. She wants to make sure they have the best Christmas possible. And part of it, though, is that she can see it in their eyes, and I can see it in their eyes, that they know it's coming. And the countdown happens right after Thanksgiving, right? How many days until Christmas is coming? And they're asking because they want something. They want to get it. They want to get some toy, some amazing thing. And listen, I love doing it. I love giving them toys, seeing their eyes light up, seeing them go ballistic in a really good way. I like to see their eyes want things like that and get them. Now, I, I'm going to put a little bit of a damper on that, though, because I, I also see in my kids' eyes something different. And I see it because I know it's coming in my own eyes. I know that's it's there in my own eyes. And I know it's in my own eyes because it's there in my heart. That getting and giving gifts has a problem. Now, I don't mean to go all Scrooge on you before we hit December, but there is a downside to this. We believe, I think, just naturally, kind of as our default mode, that getting the next thing is the greatest thing, right? That getting the new thing is the thing that will bring us joy, Finally, And so we go through this cycle. We pine after something that we see that we don't have. And then we get it. And we are elated at first, but then we become disinterested in that thing. And we usually find a new shiny object to replace that thing that we don't like anymore. And we start pining after that. And the cycle continues again. It starts all over. And I'm only 37. But I have this feeling that I'm going to struggle with this my whole life. I will go through that cycle over and over and over, and that's the definition of insanity, right? I'll tell you what's not insane, though. It's not insane to want happiness. It is not insane that I have a feeling, that you all have a feeling that you want to be satisfied. C.S. Lewis says that that is implanted in us. It is there for a reason. We want something more. And so, if it's not the thing out there, if it's not the thing in the window or on Amazon, it's not the person or the idea, maybe it's not the, the new thing, the thing we don't have. Maybe it is something that we already have. Something that we don't have to go get, but something that we just have to see and know. And believe. Christmas is good. Gifts are good. But maybe it is what we already own, what we are already the beneficiaries of that is truly, that will be truly, overwhelmingly, satisfyingly great. I think that's what Paul is going to help us to discover this morning. And so we are working through Ephesians one, fifteen through twenty-three this morning. There's a lot of verses, so we've got some work to do. Three points to help us. One, praying what you already have. Two, knowing what you already have. And three, taking what you already have. Number one, praying what you already have. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus. And your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Let's just stop there. So what is Paul's opinion of the Ephesian church? He's writing to the church, and what's his opinion of them? Well, he's impressed. He's impressed, and he's mainly thankful. He's impressed, and he's thankful for two things that he sees in their life, and it's faith and love. You see that there, faith in the Lord Jesus and love toward each other. So it's a vertical and a horizontal. And this means that I think at some level they kind of get what he's already saying. He's referring back to the the first verses, right? For this reason. That's verses 1 through 14. And And he thinks and he knows that at some level, maybe on a simple level, they get it. All that theology, they believe it. They believe it. They trust it and it's showing this fruit, it's bearing this fruit, and the fruit is love, love for each other. And so Paul's heart is full, isn't it? When you hear him, you can just hear, when you hear his his words, you can hear in his voice, in his heart, that his heart is full. His heart is full at their their faith and their love. Now our question this morning is, is this. How does he respond? So this faith and love he sees burgeoning up in their hearts. How does he respond? In a really strange, non-intuitive way. At least I think so. He prays for them. He prays for them. I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. So that's weird, isn't it? That he would pray for them. Okay, maybe it's not that weird. Here's why I think it's weird. It's not weird that he's praying. It's kind of weird what he prays for them for. What he is praying. And he prays this. He prays that they would know the gospel. He prays that they would know what they already have. Ephesians 1.16 I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. Now listen. That you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. Did you hear that? That you may know that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. For what? For what? This is the gospel. That's what he's talking about. Now it's coming in a little bit of a different form. He's describing it in a different way. Hope, inheritance, power. But Paul's main hope is that they would spiritually see and know and believe the good news. In other words, he is praying that they would believe something they already have. They've already got it. So a couple years ago, I, I... If you've been with a church less than five years, you're good. If you've been with a church more than five years, you might remember this illustration I'm going to give, this story, but bear with me. It's my favorite one of all time. So one day, I'm sitting in my house, and I'm watching TV, and an infomercial comes on, and the infomercial was for the magic bullet. The magic bullet. Do you remember the magic bullet? I actually think that you can get it in the stores now, but at the time, you could only get it if you ordered it over the phone. And so I'm, I'm watching this infomercial about the Magic Bullet, which happened to be a new newfangled type of blender, and I'm looking at it going, man, this is awesome. This is the greatest thing ever. How did I exist with this old, this old junky blender over here? I need this new one. I need to have it. And the infomercial ends and the air is kind of let on my sails. And I think to myself, I can't go buy the magic bullet. I don't really need it. And then I stopped. And I thought, and something occurred to me. Wait a minute. I already own a magic bullet. I run downstairs into my basement and there it was, sitting on the shelf, I think, with this, with this light coming down from heaven on top of it, this box that had never been opened. And I see it, and it says in big bold letters, magic bullet on the side, and I'm freaking out. Now, the reason I didn't remember is because when I first got it, my dad had got it for me for Christmas, and he had sent it all the way from Washington State. And I opened it, and I was like, what is this? A magic bullet, okay, shelf, But right at that moment, everything had changed. The magic bullet at that moment was everything. And so I grabbed it, I ripped it out of the box, and I just started blending everything. I can find bananas and olives and whatever. Paul's primary prayer for the saints in Ephesus is so simple. It's almost unbelievable. He wants them to know what they already have. May He give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of Him having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know. Hang on that word. That you may know. He knows that they need help for this. It is not just enough to get into the kingdom, to be baptized and walk into this new life with Christ, to be a new creation. Paul knows that we have a problem with the gospel. It is not so easy, easily believed and applied and lived out. He prays for them that they would know it completely, fully, comprehensively. I can think for, of at least four reasons. Four things that happen to us when we become Christians. Four reasons that we need to be prayed for. That we need to pray for the gospel. The first is simply that we forget it. Like I forgot about the magic bullet. We easily forget the good news of the kingdom. I think about World War II. So when the newspaper, when it came through and Hitler was dead and they signed the treaty and the war was over, it was a new day. But I can imagine the next day after that, that people had a hard time going back to their previous existence. They had lived a life in fear. They had lived a a life of living frugally, living for the war. And you can imagine they would have had to remind themselves a couple of times, a thousand times, wait a minute, the war is over. I do not have to live in fear any longer. Christians forget easily what has saved them. We forget that the victory over sin and death is won. We forget that we have been adopted by our true father and Paul prays that they would remember. We also struggle to believe it. Maybe that's hard to believe, but it's true. We do not believe the good news fully, not when we first hear it. We believe enough, but our faith is feeble. It is weak. Paul prays that our our faith would be strengthened. Doubting is normal. Doubting the total, unmitigated, unmitigated love of God for you is pretty normal because our default mode is what? It is works righteousness. It is looking for the next best thing. It can't be Christ. He can't be the greatest thing. I've got to earn my own way. To go from earning your way before God and others to living by His grace alone, that is not an easy transition. Tim Keller likes to say that the gospel is kind of like a a quarter in a soda machine that gets stuck halfway down. And you take it and you hit it and you push it around until... The quarter drops. That is like the gospel. Paul prays for his people, and we are to pray too, because the coin has not yet dropped totally. It is still dropping. I think Paul also prays because they do not yet believe in the gospel's power and potency. The gospel's power and potency. We do not believe as a people that what Paul says in Romans Romans 1, that the gospel is the power unto salvation. We look at a hardened sinner, a friend, a family member. We say they can't change. They cannot be saved. We do not believe the power and the potency of the gospel. We think about our own lives. We think about our own heart and the sin that we are trapped in, and we say we cannot change. There's no hope for us. We do not believe the power and the potency of the gospel. But if anyone saw those baptisms last week, my goodness, lives changed. After years and years and years of hardened sin and the gospel was enough to break them down. We are to pray that we would believe the power and the potency of the gospel. Last thing, I think that he prays that we would grow in its understanding. Very simple, that we would grow in its understanding. I think the gospel on one level, on one plane, is very easy. Anyone can understand the gospel. Christ dying in your place for your sins. But the gospel, on the other hand, is very, very deep. It is complex. There is so much to it. It's kind of like a computer program, like Photoshop. If you use Photoshop. Anyone can use Photoshop. You can go in and and import a picture and mess with it a little bit. But you can kind of tell that there is so much more behind that computer program, right? There are buttons that you have no idea what they do. And then especially when you see a, a master of Photoshop, you look at them and you go, how did you do that? Well, they're using that program. We have seen the unbelievable picture of the gospel working In people's lives. We have seen them apply it in ways that we do not fully understand. The power of the gospel is paralleled paralleled by its depth. There is so much to learn and understand. Paul says, pray. Pray what you already have. Point two. Knowing what you already have. Knowing what you already have. Verse 18 Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might. What is Paul doing? He's getting specific. That's good, right? He needs to get a little more specific with us. It's not just, I pray the gospel for you. No, he's, he's laying out the things that he wants them to know and grow in. This is not the generic gospel. This is specific. And you see three things there probably, right? Hope, inheritance, and power. Let's take each of them at, at a time. We grow in hope. When he prays for us, when we are praying for ourselves, we are growing in the, in the gospel, we are growing in hope that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What is hope? What is it? It is not wishful thinking. That is not what biblical hope is. It is not I hope I win the lottery this time. It isn't, man, I hope I get that job that I applied for. No, hope is something secure that has not happened yet. Or here's how a Greek dictionary puts it. To look forward with confidence to that which is good and beneficial. Now, what's interesting, though, is that hope is forward-looking, but Paul does something interesting. He does kind of a switcheroo. He says, Hope in your calling. Know what is the hope to which you have been called, which he has called you. He's saying, remember when you were saved. Back to the time when you first, you first came to Christ. You have hope now because the greatest enemy in your life was defeated. You have hope now because the only true hindrance to you was overcome. Your sin, your hard-heartedness, your deadness was swept away by the blood and life and resurrection of Jesus Christ. At his call, your soul was saved. That's the gospel. When we remember it, and we are filled with hope. I sat in a lecture a few weeks ago with a pastor in the Midwest, speaking to a lot of other pastors, and I wasn't expecting this, but he asked us all, To go back to the the time when Jesus first loved us and we loved him back. And maybe this is hard for you to imagine, but doing ministry is not always easy. You can easily forget why you're doing it in the first place. And we're sitting there beneath him and he says, Remember, friends, pastors, when Jesus first gripped you, when he saved you, a wretch for life. that feel like? What was he doing? He was simply asking us to remember the hope. To remember the hope that we were standing on. The hope that we had in Jesus Christ. And I do not think there is anything we need more than this. When our dreams are dashed on the rocks, when a friend or relative or parent or sibling or child perishes, when divorce comes, when we commit that sin, Again, we have hope. We do not hope in our present circumstances, but in what happened before us. What happened in the past when Jesus Christ saved us. Paul knew this. He was so desperate to pray for them. He knew they were going to enter into times of suffering. He knew they would struggle with doubt and with faith. And he knew that only the gospel would help them. Only their hope in Christ would bring them solace. Do we have such a firm foundation? That is, that is the gospel. Let us know it. We also grow in our knowledge of our inheritance. We touched on this a little bit last week. Look from the beginning, the middle of verse 18. That you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? So if, if our hope is in Christ's past, That we are hoping in our calling that we have been saved by Him. Our hope is also forward-looking to our inheritance. To the riches of His glorious inheritance. We look forward to a glorious life with Him everlasting. So we do not hope in some disembodied existence in heaven floating on the clouds with harps standing in rows and rows of people singing horrible worship songs. its not what it's going to be like. What God promises in the gospel is something truly to be hoped for more than any earthly treasure. John Stott says it this way. He says, exactly what it will be like is beyond our capacity to imagine. But that makes me want to imagine, doesn't it? That makes me want to do it. And Paul is telling us, he's he's saying, I'm praying for you that you would kind of know it. It's probably like the fact that I'm not a billionaire, but I can kind of imagine what it's like to be a billionaire. We must pray what it will be like. What it will be like to stand glorious in heaven, perfectly conscious, perfectly complete, perfectly happy. We are told that we will see him. That's what the Bible says. Face to face, we will see God in Christ finally. Finally. And we will be with him forever. We are told that to see him we will receive new bodies. Perfect bodies. No more bad eyesight. No more stomach issues. No more cancer. And we we are told that we will exist together in perfect harmony. No more infighting. No more being annoyed with each other. No more awkwardness. No more pain. C.S. Lewis wrote in The Weight of Glory this. He talks about, he's going to talk about the the physical things that we experience on earth and how even those things can be overwhelming. He says, the faint, far-off results of those energies which God's creative rapture implanted into matter when he made the worlds, they are what we now call physical pleasures, the faint, far-off results. And even thus filtered, they are too much for our present management. So the physical things, the things that God gives to us, by his grace, even the physical things, the earthly things, they are often too much for us to understand and feel, and they are so overwhelming, a piece of music, a rapturous sunset, a glorious plate of food. And then he goes on, he says, what would it be to taste at the fountainhead, that stream of which even those lower reaches prove so intoxicating, yet that I believe is what lies before us. The whole man is to drink joy from the fountain of joy. Now that's too lofty, that's too intellectual. Listen to Johnny Erickson Tata. She has been in a wheelchair as a quadriplegic for 49 years. And she longs for her inheritance. She says, I get so excited thinking about how Jesus and the Father and the Holy Spirit are anticipating on tiptoe that wonderful day when we, the bride of Christ, spotless, pure and blameless, will join them and swim with them in their river of pleasure. I rejoice in that hope, the hope of God's being glorified in himself and our getting a chance to join him. Paul prays that we would know our inheritance now, that we would begin to feel what Johnny Erickson, Tata, and C.S. Lewis felt at the end of their lives. Last thing he says, I pray that you would know the power. I pray that you would know the power. Look at verse 19. And he's he's saying that they would know what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. Hope. We hope in our calling that we have been saved. We hope in our, in our inheritance, the life that is to come, What joins those together except the power of God? The same power that raised Christ from the dead, seated Him at His right hand and made Him head over all things. That is the power that keeps us, sustains us, and will rush us into eternity. And and we have to think of this power in contrast with something. In contrast with evil, darkness. We cannot personally stop death. We cannot personally suppress evil, but God in Christ can, and he did. John Stott writes, For if there are two powers which man cannot control, but which hold him in bondage, they are death and evil. Man is mortal. He cannot avoid death. Man has fallen. He cannot overcome evil. But God in Christ has conquered both. And therefore, he can rescue us from death. Both. This is power for us. Paul prays for power for his people. We do not feel often like beneficiaries of this power, do we? We feel like we are out adrift, That we are left alone without shelter, without help, without comfort. But God is there. Paul wants us to know that God is there. I think about one of the first facts I learned as a kid amazing thing that someone told me, hey, do you know you're going 1,000 miles an hour right now? Oh, yeah? He says, yeah, because the earth is spinning. It's rotating at 1,000 miles an hour. And I went and looked it up. And sure enough, it's true. Not metaphorically, literally 1,000 a, a miles an hour. Now, we don't feel it, of course, because of the gravity and all the other science that I don't understand. But it's true, we are standing on this massive globe, spinning us at massive speeds. We do not always feel the power of God. We do not know that He is massively powerful, that He is with us, sustaining us, keeping us, protecting us. Paul prays that you would know that, that you begin to know the power that is at work inside of you, that is at work inside of the church. In the world. Paul prays for hope, for inheritance, for power. He prays that we would have a deeper understanding of the gospel. Let's do the last point. Getting what you already have. And we're just going to do some application. Getting what you already have. How do you remember? How do you know? How do you take this on? How do you remember your magic bullet? How do you you utilize and remember what you already have in the gospel? How do you not sit at its surface, but dive down deep into it and allow it to go deep inside of you? Listen, friends, that is the goal of your life. That is the goal of this church. If we are not doing that together, we will not grow. First, you pray it. We've been saying that all along. We pray it. We have to know that the only way we will truly understand and believe and apply the gospel is if the Spirit is doing it. We must pray for the Spirit's help. He must remind us, break down our sinful habits, and apply the gospel to our hearts. We are dependent on Him continually to remind us of His grace. So pray. Pray often. Pray simply. This is the thing that I've been praying often Restore to me the joy of my salvation. That is a a prayer from David. Restore to me the joy of my salvation. It is needy. It is a prayer for him to remind me. To remind me of the hope that I have in him. Friends, may we pray. Second, know it. Know it. And really what I mean is go find it search for. It. This is why we have Ephesians and Colossians and Luke and Genesis and Isaiah and Revelation, that we would be reminded continually of the gospel, that we would remember it and know it and understand it. Now, we can't do it on our own. It's too self-centered to think that we can muster up the energy to apply it to our lives, but it would be foolish to think that we can play no part We must move underneath the waterfalls of grace. We must stand underneath the streams of the good news. So go where the gospel is preached, in the scriptures, in books, in your life groups, in our worship services, every month in communion. Know it. Know it. My all-time favorite quote from Martin Luther goes this way. Only Luther could have said something like this. The truth of the gospel is the principal article of all Christian doctrine. Most necessary is it that we know this article well. Teach it to others and beat it into their heads continually. May we beat it into our heads. We are preaching well at Grace Point. You will always hear the gospel in the sermon, in every sermon. And not just at an altar call, not just at a call for conversion. It will be weaved in and out of every message. Pray it, know it. And last, see it. Last, see it. So I'm going to end a little bit differently than I I thought I was going to. And and I want to tell you that this passage, this prayer, it's not actually about you. Well, not you as individuals. Paul, if you can't tell, is praying for the church, the collective body of Christ. Verse 22. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. He is not praying for individuals here, Paul. He is praying for the collective individuals. He is saying that the church is filled by Christ. He is the fullness of him who is, in, who is all in all, who fills all in all. He's not praying for Jimmy or Lydia or Bruce. He is praying for the church made up of millions and billions of individuals. And this is so important. This is so important because success will not always be seen in us. It will not always be seen in each person. There are times where we will fail, where we will falter. Where God will not use us in a way that we are expecting or think. But if you look at the church if you look at the church as a whole you will always see God working for the church is his goal the church will survive and it will thrive because he sees will see to it step back look at the body of Christ where is she thriving where is she flourishing even if your life is not going the way you planned it, even if you do not accomplish everything you wanted, look to the church of God. See him working. See him working the gospel out in people and churches and denominations and mission, missions agencies and college groups in different countries. Did you know that the, the most of the gospel work is not happening in America right now? It's not happening in the West, in Europe. There are amazing things happening in the East, in Asia, In South, and South America, God is doing astounding things. May we look to them and see God working. May we see him working with his great power to remind the church of the gospel. Friends, Jesus Christ has died. And he did not die for no reason. He died so that we would know the gospel. Not just be saved, but know it in all of its beauty and complexity and glory. What he has already given us is everything we need. May you remember that this Christmas season and your whole lives. For the sake of his glory and for our joy. Let's pray. God, Heavenly Father, I am first drawn to say that maybe some people in this room do not yet have the gospel. They do not have this thing that Paul is praying for his people. They are on the edge or they are way out on the shore and they're looking into this thing and they're saying, I I don't know. I don't know if I want that. Would you give them a heart to want it? And for those who are right on the edge, would you give them the strength and the faith to fall into your arms? the strength and the faith to give their lives to you, to confess their sins, to repent, to change their mind, and to call you Lord. I pray for them this morning. God, and I pray for us. I pray for us. I pray this for the church every day, that we would be a people who knew the gospel inside and out, that we could speak it, that we would live it, and that we would continue To know it. And I say this for our great joy. But I say this also for our work in the world. If we do not know the gospel. We will not be able to do the work you have called us to. But if we would. If we would only believe it. Who knows what could happen. And so we offer ourselves before you. O God. Would you. The great spirit. The great son. And the great father work the gospel into our hearts and into this church. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.